Jesus addressed this parable to those who were convinced of their own righteousness and despised everyone else. Two people went up to the temple area to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. O oh God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes on my whole income. But the tax collector stood off at a distance and would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and prayed, O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, the latter went home justified, not the former. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. When I was in seminary, there was kind of a legendary homily that happened a year or two before I got there. So I didn't hear it, but some of the guys that had been around longer than me heard it, and I wish I heard it. But uh, it was the gospel was this one that we just heard about the you know the Pharisee who stands in the temple and essentially praises himself. Right? I thank you that I'm not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. And the story goes that the priest, or maybe it was a deacon, I don't know, uh, who was preaching, read this gospel and then said, thank God I'm not like that Pharisee, and went and sat down. And I've always, I, ho I hope that someday I have the guts to deliver a one-line homily like that. Uh, that today is not that day. But one of the things I think was so clever and beautiful about it was it very subtly and kind of humorously shows how susceptible we actually all are to spiritual pride. Right? We, it may not take the form of exactly what the tax collector is doing here. We may not kneel down in the church and just praise ourselves before God or pray to God about how much better we are than everybody else. But all of us struggle with pride. And the most subtle but also the most nefarious, dangerous form of pride is spiritual pride. And I think very often we want to justify ourselves to the Lord rather than accusing ourselves before the Lord and asking for his mercy. And brothers and sisters, those two things are not the same. Presuming that God is going to forgive us or simply not believing that we need forgiveness and just sort of trusting that God is merciful and everything's going to be fine, that is not the same thing as coming before the Lord and acknowledging our sinfulness and pleading for his mercy. And if we really pay attention to what Jesus says in the gospel today, we see that. We see when he says that one of them, the tax collector, who stood off to the side and wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven and simply beat his chest and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says he goes home justified and not the Pharisee. 
We want to be really careful, though. It's not because the tax collector was less of a sinner than the Pharisee. It's not because the Pharisee's sins were somehow greater uh, or graver than the tax collector's. That's not why Jesus says the tax collector goes home justified and the Pharisee doesn't. The reason the tax collector goes home justified is that he has the humility to acknowledge his sinfulness and beg mercy. And that really is, that's the disposition the Lord wants from us. And what Jesus sort of tells us today is that's the condition set for us to actually receive God's mercy. We have to have contrition, right? Uh, now we, I think this is a, this is a, I, I often will refer to things that we struggle with as Americans or as modern Americans. But I think it's good, I think it's good to identify things in our culture that undermine or run counter to the gospel. And maybe one of the, the features of our culture that runs most counter to authentic Christianity is that we really do treat guilt like it's a bad thing. We treat guilt like it's some sort of neurosis, something that we should be afraid of, that it's unhealthy. But the truth is, brothers and sisters, we are guilty. We are guilty. And having a sense of our guilt is not neurotic, it's not overly oppressive, negative, bad, it's simply honesty. It's true humility. It's recognizing who we actually are. And we bring that guilt to the Lord and we ask his forgiveness. Right, so what are some of the ways that I think uh, this spiritual pride or this presumption can manifest itself? Well, uh, the, the first thing I would say is if you have not been to confession for a long time, I don't think it's because you have just made peace with being damned. If you've not been to confession for a long time, it's probably because of one of two things. Either you don't think that you have anything to confess, which it would certainly be a symptom of spiritual pride, because you do, or it's because you don't think that you need to confess it, because you just assume that God is going to forgive you and that regardless of what you do, everything's going to be all right. We call that presumption, right? And it's a sin against the Holy Spirit. We call it presumption, that we presume on God's mercy. We assume that we will be forgiven, but we don't actually repent. We don't actually ask for forgiveness. Right? Another form that this spiritual pride can take is when we either just in our thoughts or maybe even in dialogue with the Lord, as I said, when we, when we look to justify ourselves, one of the things we do is we start to explain away our sins. Right? Because, we, because we don't like guilt, we don't want to feel bad about ourselves, and so we make excuses for ourselves. We let ourselves off the hook. Right? Sometimes we even do it in confession. Right? It's good that you know, we're here confessing, but often we will uh, sort of pad our sins. Right? We'll, we'll confess what our sin is, but then proceed to tell the priest the circumstances that you know, sort of let you off the hook and make the sin maybe not as bad as it could have been. Now, this is actually something that I think uh, is, has been theologically misunderstood by many, and priests, God help us, have actually done a lot of damage to the faithful because... There is, in, in the church's teaching on morality, we teach that in order to be fully responsible for a sin, it has to be, the, the act has to be sinful. You have to know it, that it's sinful, and you have to do it freely, right? And very often, we're not fully culpable for our sins, either because of ignorance or because some compromise in our freedom, right? Because of vice or addiction or just human weakness, that we're not always necessarily fully responsible for our sins. That's, that's true. Where we get off the rails, though, 
is that sometimes people will take that teaching or priests will wrongly teach about that teaching and people will start to excuse themselves. They will say, yes, I committed this sin, but because of this, this, and this, I don't think I was fully responsible, so I think I'm okay. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go to confession. I'm going to go to communion, all that sort of thing. But the truth is, only God is competent to know how responsible we are for our sins. It's God who judges hearts. It's God who knows how responsible we are for the things that we've done. What the church teaches us to do is to identify sinful actions. We don't ask ourselves when we're examining our conscience how responsible we are for our sins. We simply uh, identify the sin, accuse ourselves of it, and ask for God's mercy. Right? We leave the judgment of our culpability up to God. So if you've been wrongly taught and have believed that you, know, you can excuse yourself, I, I apologize for the church wrongly teaching you, but we turn again and we see this, uh, the Lord sets as a condition for receiving mercy that we have the, hum, the humility to ask for it. Right, uh, one, another way we could look at this is the church teaches that in order for us to make a valid confession, right, in order to have our sins forgiven, we have to not only confess our sins, but we have to have contrition. And contrition has two parts. One is sorrow for the sins committed. We have to actually be sorry. We have to hate our sins. We don't, we don't excuse it away. We try to break our affection for our sinfulness. We have, to, we have to actually have conversion. And then the second thing is we have to have amendment to at least try not to sin again. Right, so we need, to, we need to have a conversion. We need to be sorry for our sins. We need to not want to commit this sin again and at least intend not only not to commit it, but to do the things necessary to you know, remove ourselves from temptation. That is the condition for receiving mercy. So brothers and sisters, what I, what I simply want to say to you today is let us, let's all be on guard against spiritual pride. Let's not be allergic to guilt. Right? And we don't, have to be, we don't have to be afraid of guilt because the Lord is merciful. Right? Our God, there is an infinite ocean of mercy for us. We really can, no matter how far we fall, always come back to the Lord and he will always forgive us if we ask for it. But we don't want to prevent ourselves from coming to the Lord's mercy because we convince ourselves that we don't need his mercy. Okay, end of homily. Now, I do want to say, this is a little bit unusual, uh, I just want to briefly say something about the Amazon Synod because many people have asked me about it in recent weeks. If you don't know what the Amazon Synod is, don't worry about it. So let's say that first. If you have been wondering about it or are concerned about it, Right? And I think Father Steve's even been asked a couple times, why aren't you guys preaching about the Synod? I simply want to say this. It is a part of, it's an article of our faith. It's part of what we believe as Catholics, that the Holy Spirit protects the church from teaching an error on faith and morals. It's relatively easy for us to believe that the church never has erred on faith and morals. I think it takes a much stronger faith to trust that the church will not err on faith and morals. Now, what we need to understand, though, about how the Holy Spirit's charism of infallibility works is our belief is that the Holy Spirit will not allow the church to officially teach heresy, that the church cannot officially proclaim something that changes our belief or violates authentic doctrine or dogma. What it does not mean is that everything that a bishop or a group of bishops, certainly not a priest, 
uh, not even everything that a pope says is protected by the Holy Spirit because not everything that a bishop or a group of bishops or even a pope says is official church teaching, right? So for one thing, we don't have to panic every time the pope says something weird on an airplane interview because airplane interviews is not how the church defines official teaching, right? So uh, to just really kind of put it simply and hopefully to sort of ease your troubles, trust in the Holy Spirit, right? We, we cannot panic every time a wacky group of bishops start saying wacky things. We have to trust that the Holy Spirit who has protected the church from error for 2,000 years will continue to protect us from error. We have to trust that Jesus was telling the truth when he said that the gates will not prevail against, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church until he comes again.